Okay, let's have a go. Thanks for showing up early. You're very, very kind to do that. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Here we go, here we go. Don't rush though, if you're midway, it's all right. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners, amen. It's very nice to see you all. Thanks for coming early to get to know each other. That's part of the deal. Uh, so this is meant to give you a chance to meet and not just be a data dump. Um, let's do two things at once. In front of you, there's either a catechism or a Bible with a catechism in the back. I think, uh, I think it's 1058 is where we're gonna go. So if you can begin to look at that, uh, it's 1058 in the Bible. In the catechism, find the little bit on on baptism. And then if you have questions, be writing them down and giving them to me. I'll happily take them you know, during the morning. But I have one left from last week. So this is a very nice question. Did Jesus' baptism have any effect on him? Which is a really good question. So two things to think about. One is that Jesus got a baptism from John the Baptist. And John the Baptist Baptism was meant to clear the way for Jesus. So he came and he called people to repentance and he asked them uh, to get baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, Jesus jumps in the water. And you remember even John is a bit horrified by that. I'm not worthy to do this. And then Jesus says, no, we play by the rules here. And so even though Jesus isn't a sinner, he goes down into the water to be baptized. Now, what did Jesus get from that? I can give you three things. One is, he got your sins, and I did say that last week. So your sins are floating around the water, theirs were at least, and Jesus absorbs them. But there are two other things that Jesus got. You remember once he got baptized, the heavens opened, and uh, the Heavenly Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So he got a name, and we'll talk about you getting a name in a moment, but he got his name, Son of God. Uh, or his name was affirmed. He was always the Son of God from forever. But his name was said out loud. It was, he was given a name, and with a name of purpose, uh, he's the Messiah. And just to make that point again, the Holy Spirit came down, you remember, and rested on him. And that's the anointing of the Messiah that uh, Isaiah spoke about. So what did Jesus get at his baptism? He didn't get your sins, right? But he got a name, one of many. We'll need those later when it's time to say prayers. And he also got the Holy Spirit uh, who anointed him. And putting oil on somebody is another way to give him a purpose, which is why we anoint you too. So we'll talk about that too. Anyway, that's a great question. Anything else just off the top of your heads? Otherwise, we'll just keep going. So look at your catechism. It makes all sorts of bold claims. I never did it this way before, but we'll see whether this works. So we should test the catechism and see whether... Um, last week we talked about how baptism picks you up. You're at one point, it picks you up, and then it moves you into a new place. So it picks you up out of the world. Jesus picks you up, and then he drops you off. Right? So, uh, has everybody got this? Either we're, we've ordered some more catechisms, um, but it's either in the back or the catechism is just in front of you. Uh, look for the baptismal part. 485? 285. 285. So, 285 in the small book. 
285 in the small category. And if you don't have one of those, take one today. Take one home. We got more on the way. So 285 on the small one. And then uh, 1058 in the back of the Bible. What? Say it again. Oh, page 23. So uh, Mr. Wolrob's an overachiever. He went right for the extra credit in the back. But, and that's good. We expect that of him. He's a good man, Wolrob. Uh, but 23 in the front of the small book. Hold it up, Vic. That book right there. 23. So, um, uh, first, first thing. What's, what's, what's baptism? Baptism isn't just water, but it's water included in God's command and combined with God's word. So, we'll be on the hunt today for uh, the water. We'll be looking for water stories. So, already begin to think of <coughs> in the scriptures... What's your favorite water story? Flood. What's that? The flood. the flood. Hold on, though. We're going to do them in a little bit. There's the, the flood is a gorgeous one, right? So hold your water, water stories for just a moment. So we'll be looking for water, and then we'll also be looking for um, God's command or God's word. So where do we get that? Uh, Matthew, and we're going to do Matthew in just a moment. Then look at number two. Second, what does baptism do? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, gives eternal salvation to all who believe this. Now, you got a little bit of a preview of that last time uh, where you think about being rescued. So we talked about being dead, and then you are dropped off and you're alive. So that's part of where your rescue comes in. But it is this never-ending battle against what is dark and demonic. So it forgives your sins, it rescues you from death and the devil, and uh, gives you eternal salvation to all who believe this in the words and promises of God. So we'll be looking for more words and promises. There's one there from Mark 16. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. So we'll have to talk a little bit about what believing is and what the order is, whether you believe and get baptized or you get baptized and then you believe. We've got to figure that out a little bit. Um, who, he who doesn't believe will be condemned. And then my definition of hell for you is you get your way forever. And my definition of heaven for you is God gets his way forever. And what God would like most is to have you with him forever. And then, uh, you know, number three. Uh, really, water? We live in a digital world. Nothing's tactile anymore, right? Then, you know, Luther, calm down. It's not just the water, but it's the word of God in and with the water that does these things. So it's not just water. There's all kinds of washings everywhere, you know. Uh, but it's a special kind of washing that's connected with God's word. It trusts the word of God in the water. For without God's word, it's just plain water. It's a swimming pool, but it's not a baptism then. But with the word of God, it's a baptism, a life-giving water, rich in grace, washing of new birth, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. And this is a very nice little text, you know. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to have to figure all that out, that you get washed up and that you also get the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, how does that happen to us? Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that we have been justified by his grace might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So that'll be part of the final exam. 
Um, I have a question about trust funds and trust fund babies, right? Uh, and just to, you know, um, we, we need to talk about that. You know, what, is it, what does it mean to, to, to have something even from forever? And then, um, where does, what does baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam should be daily, bike and daily contrition and repentance drowned. So I talked about that. Every day starts with murder. Every morning you wake up, you make the sign of the cross, you say, I'm baptized, and you kill everything that's evil in you, which is a good reason for you to have your morning devotions, to wake up at the very least to breathe out in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, and to say the Lord's Prayer, for example, or another prayer. Right? Because every day... A new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And I gave you a little sheet there, which is my condensation of everything you need to know about Christianity, which is um, touch good, flee evil, right? That's Romans 12, 9. That's, the, that's everything about, you need to know about Christianity. Touch good, flee evil. So baptism comes and touches you, and then with Jesus you touch good all the time, and you never touch evil. But if you touch evil, um, you'll wear it. I mean, it, you'll absorb it. It'll take control of you. And then, where is that written? That's what we did last week, Romans 6. So, um, does that prompt any particular questions for you, or just things you just have to talk about right now? Otherwise, you're very, see, now you were so lively talking to each other, then I talk to you, and you're so, you wonder why I'm an introvert. You know, so uh, <laughs> only you laugh. Kirby, where is she? Who's the extrovert, Kirby? Who's the extrovert in our family? <laughs> and who's the introvert? <laughs> All right, so grab a Bible, open it to Matthew um, 28. So we'll just, we're just going to do a little work in the text, right? Now, what you hope for is that these texts become your old friends. Uh, if you've been baptized, then you poke the devil in the eye. Now, in my younger years, I was much more careful about this because, you know, um, if you talk about the devil, people thought you're a bit insane. Then about 20 years ago, I, I was teaching at Valpo um, before that, and I knew some students at Christ College, and there was this trend where, at Christ College in Valpo, um, the professors didn't believe in the demonic. They didn't believe in the miracles. They didn't believe in angels. And then, you know, the 40-year-old professors didn't believe, but their 20-year-old students, who were very, very bright, kind of laughed at them behind their back because they just didn't really understand how the world worked. Uh, and more and more, um, through the time being a pastor and then growing older, um, you know, I've seen so many things that are clearly demonic and don't have another explanation uh, that you begin to take it seriously. You don't have to worry about that too much, but you should do the things that would protect you, and among that is get baptized as soon as possible. Now, my wife gave birth to twins on a Friday, and they were, buried, they were, they were, they were, they were baptized on a Sunday. Her family disowned me after that, but they kicked her out of the hospital on Saturday, right? Is that right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday? And there was a brief period where they only had 24 hours. 
you got 24 hours in the hospital, and we happened to start right after midnight, so the clock was ticking. Uh, and they said, you can stay if you want, but it could be another $5,000 if your insurance doesn't approve. We're like, hey, for $5,000, I'll roll the dice here. So um, anyway, and it, she's, be kinder, she's due any minute, which shows you the sort of commitment. That's the sort of members we need. People who come while they're in labor, you see, that says, be kinder. You could have a shower for her. You could all Venmo her money right now. If everybody Venmoed you 50 bucks, that'd be okay. Sure, yeah, that's good, that's right. The church is about receiving the gifts. Okay, so anyway, uh, you're at Matthew 28, right? So Jesus has died, Jesus has been resurrected, Jesus has been moving around, and Jesus is gonna leave. And that's making everybody nervous, but then Jesus doesn't want them uh, to live in nervousness. And so, you know, he says, this is Matthew 28, 16. If you got it, otherwise have, get somebody to kind of help you find it. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus said, meet you there, right? And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and some doubted, which is the way it always is, right? That's how it'll be tomorrow morning. It, you know, it'll be, it'll be that way tomorrow uh, at 8.30 when church starts. Some people will be worshiping, and then there'll be some people who will be doubting. They're nice people, completely fine. Could even be us. Could be your pastors, you know. There's things that people doubt about. And that's natural. We can talk about that sometime if you want. When they saw him, they worshipped him and some doubted. And then Jesus came to them. And you see, you see the motion here, right? You don't have to be chasing Jesus down. He'll chase you down. So Jesus comes to them, right? This is just like church tomorrow. Jesus says, I'll meet you here. And then uh, he'll come to you. Uh, in, the, in the divine service, Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now that's a clever pre-Istinian way of saying space and time. All authority in heaven and on earth. So your translation for you is to say, um, Wherever I go, Jesus is in charge. And that very simple recognition <coughs> that wherever you go, Jesus is there and uh, is waiting for you, will come to you. So that's the space part. And you notice that the time part comes at the end. So Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is everywhere and waiting for you and for your good. And then look at the last line. I'm with you always to the close of the age. That's the time part. So anywhere in space and time, Jesus is there for you and for your good. So, and I think I might have said this to you last week, you really can never say, nobody loves me. Because Jesus is, I mean, you say it, but it's not true. Jesus is always loving you. You can never say, um, I'm all alone and nobody cares because wherever you are, Jesus is there. You can never say, you know, day after tomorrow or a week from now, um, I'll be so exposed or uh, I'll, I'll be left behind. No, no. And you can't even fall into a depression so deep uh, that Jesus isn't there with you. In fact, one of the things we learned about Jesus is that 
Um, he's even been to hell. And so if you fall so low that you're in hell, uh, Jesus is there waiting for you. Right? So you don't have, um, much of your nervousness is unfounded, as is mine. Jesus moves through space and time with his gifts, and wherever you go, Jesus will come to you. And if he's not obvious to you that he's there, you should just hold on. There's some good use of that. He's, um, he's, learning, he's letting you learn to um, live alone a bit, or he's teaching you patience, or you're being refined in a struggle, or, or, or. So just the confidence that once Jesus joins himself to you, cements himself to you. I gave you the Luther quote last week. Jesus cements himself to you that all is well. Now, particularly how he does that is how he's always done it to everybody anywhere. So Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And as you go through life, um, it's actually a little more literal would be in your going, you make disciples and so the question then is, how do you um, make a disciple, right? That's the big verb there, make a disciple. It's a little bit like um, making a cake. There's a recipe for it. And so ever since I've been here, the only thing we've ever tried to do is make disciples and then make them stronger to strengthen them. And that's just from this. Jesus says to the apostles, he says to the church, he says to pastors, make disciples, that's the job. And that contains everything. Make disciples. Now, how do you do that, right? You do that by baptizing. So that's one thing, baptizing, and then by teaching. So there's two parts to this, um, baptizing and teaching. So we need to figure out what the baptizing is, and we need to figure out what the teaching is. And this, of course, is why we're so rigorous when people come and say, you know, I want to be baptized, or I have a child I'd like you to baptize them. And then we always ask, you know, then what? Or in some ways, this time together is us asking, then what? Because I can't give you half a Jesus. <laughs> I can't just baptize you and then turn you loose like the teaching didn't exist, right? So I've, I, I, there is, it's, it's one bundle of stuff. So the baptizing, you make a disciple by baptizing and teaching. I couldn't, if, I, if I only baptize you, I haven't, I haven't made you into a disciple yet, right? It takes two bits. So then, um, what is it to do a baptism? Here, just look. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where I need your water stories. I got Noah in the ark, which is a very nice one. Or did you give me... Is that what you gave me? Noah in the ark. Okay. What are your other water stories you got? Anybody got a good water story? Yes, please. Turning water into wine. Marge. <laughs> Turning water into wine. Okay, good. Red Sea. The Red Sea. Going through the Red Sea. What other water stories have you got? We got Jesus being baptized. What else? Can you think of any other ones? Moses as a baby. Say it again. Moses yeah, Moses in the river. That's a good one, right? Or the rivers that flow through Eden at the beginning and the same rivers are there at the end. So you have the same rivers named in Genesis and in Revelation, right? Say it again. Yes, the rivers of life. Exactly, that's it. Good job, Max. What else? 
Christ coming to see it, Galilee. Nice. Jesus on the cross when the water at the very end. That's just showing off. Exactly. That's beautiful. Exactly right. You poke him in the side and water comes out. Now, the point of this is sometimes, you remember there was that question in the, in the catechism, how can water do such great things? And the answer is, water's been doing great things for a really, really long time. Like when people were going to die of thirst and Moses strikes the rock and water comes out, right? So water has been saving people all the time. He saved the wedding at Cana and he saved Moses and he saved the eight people in the ark and uh, you know, he saved them on the Sea of Galilee. Water has been saving people all over the place. So now, when we come and we're so clever the last 100 or 200 years or 500 years, and people say, water can't do that. You're like, what? Read the text. Water can do lots of things for you. But it would be important if you um, did again everything that Jesus says. So you make a disciple by baptizing with water and this name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now this is one of the um, great underappreciated things uh, in the scriptures, the name of God. So just, I just need to, um, I gave the vicar to go read in the Greek dictionary, onoma, the Greek word for name. Uh, this, if you get this right, this will clear so many things up. So um, first, you never get to see God face to face, but you get to know his name. You remember Moses at the burning bush. You remember he sees the burning bush, but he's not really seeing God. He's seeing, you know, euphemisms, the angel of God in the burning bush. But you don't get to see God face to face. Because if you did, you know, you'd be destroyed with his light, with his holiness, because you're a sinner. You can't see him face to face. But he tells you his name. When I go back to Pharaoh, who should I say sent me? Tell him, I am sent you. Or, and there's a lot of ways to translate this. I am who I am, or I will do what I will do, or I will get things done. A God of action. So the name tells you what he does. When he gives his name to um, Moses, he says, tell Pharaoh, I'm going to get this done. In the same way, his holy name, uh, which your Jewish friends do not speak, but you should be very careful with it, uh, his holy name, Yahweh, um, which is the one who makes covenants with people. And a covenant is, in this case, a one-way deal where he comes and gathers you, right? Now, you should already, hopefully, be clicking into the point where we'll do this later, but there's a place where Jesus says, whatever you pray in my name, you can have that. So I know several of you today are looking for that 1.6 billion lottery winning name in the scripture. I know it's there because then you could find the name, you could ask for it and you'd get it. So now just remember, if you get the name, you should call me 6307. <laughs> All right. But... Um, maybe most important for you is the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, you can look this up if you want. There's so many of these things that have to come together. We can't sort of do them all, but it's 1 Kings 8 and 9. So you remember the story. Solomon builds a temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. You can still go see the spot. And then 
They're ready to have dedication day. And Solomon sort of quizzically says, did anybody send an invitation to the Lord? Everybody kind of looks around each other. And then Solomon is the king, looks up and he says, it's dedication day and you're a great big God and we're, this is a very, very small building. So how do we know that you're gonna to come to earth and live with us and care for us and bless us and keep your promises and provide for us? How do we know? And the Lord responds. He says, I will take my name. You let me play last week, so I'll play again. And I will put my name on that building. Physically, I will take my name and put my name on the building. I will move in. It's like putting my name on the lease. And that'll be my spot. So when you have troubles, you should come to the temple. And when you have things to rejoice in, you should come to the temple. When you want to do sacred things, you should come to the temple. I'll always be there. And then he gives a long list of all the troubles he's going to solve for him. But the point is, when you put the name on something, you own it, you possess it, you use it, you're located there, you move in, not you, the Lord. Now, of course, you see, um, even for infant baptism, trust funds, uh, even for infant baptism, you couldn't have a stronger argument. Wherever you put the Lord's name, things start to happen. This, of course, is why, you know, we'll do this in a few weeks, but you can, you can't, um, you should never say, God damn it. Because you're putting the name on something in order to destroy it. It's not your job and the Lord just might. On the other hand, tomorrow when you come to Mass, the last thing that will be said is the ironic benediction. And this I actually will have you um, look up. If you could, numbers, almost nobody can find it. Chapter 6. See if you can find Numbers chapter 6. Free donuts for the one who finds it first. Numbers chapter 6. Because I want to try to convince you of the tactile, fleshly, physical nature. Did somebody get it? What do you say, Peter? Well, I just don't, don't read it. Just give me the page number so the rest of us can catch up. What is it? 114. Those people over there trying to steal your donuts. You hear them like take your and then repeat? Oh, I can't. You're the donut winner, okay? It's all good. 114. Now look at this. This is the most amazing thing. So the Lord has Israel and he loves them and, you know, he wants to take good care of them. And then he says, um, you know, okay, look at Numbers 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. So this is something that the priests are supposed to do. Speak to Aaron and the sons saying, this is how you shall bless the people of Israel. Okay, this is very important because blessing people is extraordinarily valuable. So if we want to bless somebody, this is how we're going to do it. This child uh, just went to sleep and so I'm not going to bless, I'll bless it from a distance. Uh, uh, this is, this is, this, yes. So if you want to bless somebody, this is how you're going to do it. You say to them, so this is very interesting, words, but of course you should think of words as 
physical things. Right now there's sound waves bouncing through the air, right? You just can't see them, but speech is a physical thing, right? Sound is a physical thing. You can break things with sound, right? Sound matters. You say to them, and this is what will happen tomorrow, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, this is very important. So you shall put my name. So tell Aaron, take my name, the Lord, and actually put it on the people by talking to them. So you can put things on things. You can put things on other people by talking to them. You can put a curse on them by talking to them. And you can put a blessing on them by talking to them. Right? But this is, this is what the Lord said. His, his words will have this effect, right? This is how you bless my people. You'll put my name upon the people of Israel and I'll bless them. So it's not a nothing or sort of just the last thing or get out the door when the pastor... He's actually taking everything that's happened in the last hour and putting it on you. Right? So look. Look what happens now. You have this baptizing. We take some water. And we know that water saves because we got lots of examples, lots of water stories. And we take this name, and Jesus tells us which name to use, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we put that on the child or on the adult. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We do exactly what we're told to do. If you, if you do something else, you're out on your own. I have no idea what's happening. So it was really trendy about 25 years ago to baptize people in the name of Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. You're sort of like, that's like baptizing somebody in the name of Butcher Baker Candlestick Maker. You know, it's what they do, but it's not who they are, right? Who's baptizing you? The Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord who saves Israel. The Lord who blesses his people. The Lord who, 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 who blesses you? The one who loves you, made you, picks you up from one, one place where you're dead, and then makes you alive. So, what happens when you get baptized? You are put into the water with the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then uh, this beautiful verse um, from 2 Corinthians 5.17. You don't have to look it up. You can if you want. But he basically says, you all should live a holy life because don't you know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right? Paul himself, um, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Sorry, I gave you, I conflated two things. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 is where I meant to go. The other one's very nice too. But um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? within you, which you have from God. How did you get, how did you become a temple and how did you ever get the Holy Spirit? Well, you, God put the Holy Spirit's name on you, baptized Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you have the Father, now you have the Holy Spirit, right? Don't you know, I should slow down, I get, so pause. When you take water and put it on a child, I baptize you in the name of the Father. 
The Father who created you recreates you and owns you again. You're no longer given to the power of darkness. I baptize you in the name of the Son, the Son who died for you and rose for you and joins himself to you, loves you and wraps you up. I baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just floating around somewhere. He puts himself into you, into your heart. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body, your physical body, right? So your physical body is valuable. There's, there's a dignity in having flesh. Your problem isn't that you're flesh. Your problem is that you're a sinner. Your flesh is fabulous. Jesus had flesh. It's your sins that are your troubles. Don't you know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body, which is to say, touch good and don't touch evil. Right? I know that's a lot. But it answers a bunch of questions. Right? You want to try some? You got questions about this? Otherwise, I have exam questions available. <laughs> right? Want to play? You have zero questions about baptism, really? None at all? <coughs> like we can go right down to the font right now and jump back in? Well, see, this is the problem here because people tend to get, this is what happened. I know you won't believe this. This is the kind of life that I have. We take a nice little guy like Alex right there. We baptize him, put the name on him, Holy Spirit moves in. Then he goes to college. He gets all kinds of wild ideas. He goes to a tent meeting. Somebody says, that didn't count. Alex, you never got to choose that you get yourself baptized. Your parents are abusive towards you. In fact, for, I mean, you might have seen that, you might have even seen that um, for Halloween, there were Satanists who were unbaptizing people for $10 a, $10 a pop and giving them an unbaptism certificate, right? And the, but the, you know, all of that is a little bit of theater. The horrible thing was, it ended with the guy doing it saying, there were lots of people doing it, it was a public thing, saying, hail Satan, and the people replied, hail Satan, as they were marked with an upside down cross. Now you've crossed a line. Because your body's been given back to the demonic. That said, back to Alex, who's not demonic at all, he's a nice boy. But people get crazy ideas. He didn't. He's a good boy. He's, you know, sometimes people will come back and say, Pastor, it was great. I got rebaptized. To which now, here's the thing. I've had two people this week, including my wife, who was one, but say that you've been a bit sassy lately. <laughs> but I do have a sassy answer for this. If somebody says to me, you've, I've been rebaptize what am i going to say what am i going to say come on mitchell what am i going to say i don't have to take that what am i going to say i'm going to say what jesus didn't get it right the first time that's what i'm going to say because of course um you didn't get yourself baptized no no passive verb you were baptized jesus did it too you were dead the raccoon right get well soon you can't get well soon you're dead and now you're made alive. You remember this from last week, right? That you were dead and then you got moved to another place. So um, what we, and we'll do this for you who come around. Um, there's always the question of, we say to people, have you been baptized? Because you're baptized before you receive the Eucharist. If you're not baptized, we want to do that. But there's always the question of, were you baptized? Yes, I was. And then, of course, we always say, 
with water, because you know there are people who baptize you with rose petals or with you know, champagne or with some, were you baptized with water and the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Pause. Um, Luther wakes up one morning. There's a baby in a basket on the front step. This is true. And um, there's a note that says, I'm sorry, I can't feed the baby anymore. Could you care for him? And then, of course, if you say care for him to Luther, what's the first thing he thinks about for a baby? <laughs> so do you baptize him? Pause. Here's your other question. Close your ears for this one for a second. There's a woman who suddenly goes into labor all by herself at home. And this is back in Luther's time where people are far away from each other. And um, she bears the baby and the baby's troubled. And um, she's a pious woman and she baptizes the baby. And then she says, uh, she brings, the baby survives, they come to church. She says to Luther, um, uh, the baby's been baptized. What does Luther do? What do you do? I'm a pastor, what do I do? So help me with those two things. My favorite game in the church is you be me. So you be me, right? So what should we do? If, um, if, if you wake up some morning with a baby on your front step and the note says, um, I can't care for the baby, but everything is okay, what do you do? What should you do? Ideas? Go to church. Thank you. Go to church is always the answer. You're a good boy. And when you get to church, <laughs> what will you do then? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I, I love you, you know? It's just, a, you know, you're just like my own kids. They love it when they can hang me with my own words. Exactly, right. Yes, this is well done. Uh, yeah, and what, but why would you baptize them? Because, you know, you wouldn't want to do things twice. Nobody left them down. Who said that? Is that Wool Rob? Recovering from that 238 page number. Yes, he gives you the pastoral, pastoral principle. See, and the second answer is the same. And this is a little more complicated because the woman is pious and she did her best. But um, Luther also baptized the other child. Because, and that's a very perceptive answer, nobody should ever be left in doubt. Right? Someday, when you're dying... Um, I will come to you or you'll come to me. And you'll, we'll say, how do we know it'll all be okay for you on the other side? And your answer should be, um, I, well, I got baptized. Right? But if you did something other than get baptized, then you, you have no idea what might happen to you. Um, so, if it's a matter of life and death, people shouldn't muck around with it. Right? So Luther said, well, um, you're a noble woman and you did all the right things, but you're alone giving birth. You thought your child was going to die. That's a tremendous amount of stress. You can't remember exactly what happened. You did your best. All is well. And we're going to baptize your baby. Right? So this is a little bit of an easier one. Um, you know, what should, what should you do? And, you know, David is a very bright boy and very helpful in this way. Nobody should be left in doubt, right? And I think I said to you, um, just in the, you know, what's your pastor good for? Um, there's a couple of things he's good for. One is to baptize you, and another is to give you last rites. 
And so when the pastor comes to you, when he baptizes you, you should be anointed with oil just the way Jesus was. It's not in the text, but it's in the church. Why is it in the church? Because it extols, it rejoices. You know, it, it upholds. And it's all over the place in scripture. The uh, um, sargus, the mark put on you, you belong to Jesus. If you look at the la very last, if you can look it up now if you want. You don't have to, but Revelation 22, 4, who are these people? It'll, it'll, be in the, it'll be in the text, the epistle this week. It's the part we didn't read. We, re we read the short version, but there's two parts of the epistle. One is they were sealed with the name and they're covered in blood. So we just have the covered in blood part. But if you just read, just back from, they were sealed with the name. That means they were baptized because they, they had the name put on them like a stamp. Boom, right? And Revelation 22, 4, who are all these people? These are they who have the name of God on their forehead. This is how you search sheep from goats. But you can do other things too, like you can hand them a candle and say, you're the light of the world. You can put salt under the tongue because salt uh, puri uh, purifies and, um, and preserves, right? You can dress in a white robe. In fact, you know, in the old days, everybody went in naked and then came out and was immediately covered with oil and put in a white robe, handed a candle, right? And if we anoint you at your baptism, we use a, um, an oil that smells of roses, right? Rose of Sharon, Jesus. Uh, and then we anoint you at your death. Your first smell and your last smell are the smells of salvation. How do you know you were baptized? I can smell it. And when you're in your hospital bed, your eyes go and your ears go, uh, but you can normally feel and your last smell often to go, or your last sense often to go is your smell. You can smell your salvation. So if you let your pastor anoint you, uh, it's another assurance that all is well, right? So that you'll be fine. Um, and as I, you know, I gave you Bernadine last week, Cardinal Bernadine, what you all don't understand is that Jesus is my friend and Jesus sees me, sees me through, right? Okay, question, please. So we all have relatives who have been baptized. Those relatives. Don't invite them to Thanksgiving, it'd be the first thing. Okay. Yeah, that's like, that's not going to go well. My advice to you for the Thanksgiving holidays, drive your own car. If you drive your own car, you can leave when you need to, okay? Hold on, I have a story for you. My first funeral. Go to the little town of Moments, Illinois for my first parish. I went from Princeton, New Jersey to Moments, Illinois. Culture shock. So, um, I just arrived, it wasn't even unpacked, and I found out that I was having my first funeral from the newspaper that came out once a week on Wednesdays. And the newspaper said, Pastor Bruzek will be doing this funeral at uh, Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Montmens, Illinois. To which I said, I am? <laughs> so um, I called my elders and I said, who is this woman? And why would I do her funeral? And they said, we don't know. The last time we saw her was about 10 years ago, and she chased us off the front porch with a broom. <laughs> well, this is going to be complicated. So, of course, I called the family, and a kid who's about, I don't know, 10 years old picked up the phone, and I said, is your 
dad there? No. Is your mom there? No. Is anybody there? No, just me. Where are they? <laughs> They're all out buying clothes for my grandma's funeral. It's going to be a Bethlehem Lutheran Church next Wednesday. Pastor Brusek's going to do it. <laughs> then he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, you can ask me a question. He said, I said, well, I said, I'm Pastor Bruce. He said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, is your church just for dead folks or is it for live folks too? So I did the funeral, which is the answer to your question, right? Uh, you know, my answer last week was, you know, Jesus fishes with a barbed hook. My answer this week is, um, it's for live folks. And how do you get alive? You get baptized. Now, um, if you focus on your relatives, just saying, not going to be much to hold on to there, okay? <laughs> it's just, you can all pause a moment of silence, think about your relatives. Don't you think about them, they're sitting right next to you. Don't think about some other relatives. You think about your relatives. I ask you, they're going straight to hell. No, no, you're not, that's not the, think about your relatives who don't go to church. And now think about Jesus. This is, another, this is right next to Woolrobs. Nobody should be left in doubt. Your second kind of aphorism for the day is, if you focus on yourself or on human beings, you always get a wobbly bad answer. And if you focus on Jesus, you always get a fabulous good answer. And at some point, you know, the Lord will have to sort that out. So what's the answer? I got no idea. Invite him to Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know what? That's just showing off again. I mean, there's like two times, you know, these two have only been married about 10 minutes. So when you're done sending uh, money over there, just shoot some over here, right? You'll take cold hard cash, right? Oh yeah, you will. I know you will. Of course you will. So um, you're a lucky woman. So are you, Kirby. Okay, so. <laughs> you know, you've been sassy lately. Um, yes, invite him to Thanksgiving. Inappropriate doses. Look, you never stop praying for them. You never stop hoping, you never stop inviting them. But kind of bashing them with the free Bible we give you is probably not the best idea, you know. But you can invite them to Thanksgiving. So, you know, here's the answer, and I'm gonna say this a lot of times, I actually don't know what the answer is, because I don't know them, and I don't know what Jesus is up to, and I don't know what's in their hearts, and, but I know what would be best for them if they, inside, you'll notice there's a red round stone around the font. Um, round is always the symbol of eternity. And um, you notice there's a red round ring, same stone, same color, around the altar. And of course the reason for that is what is given uh, in baptism is um, what is given in baptism is nourished at the altar. The real, just a little quick diagram for you. Um, the font is round, and then underneath, there is a grate with six sides. Oh, that's trouble, why? Because six is the devil's number. So, you remember, um, demonic things work by inversion. So in creation, things sort of bumped along until the sixth day when the greatest of great things were made. 
human beings, little brother to the angels. So six was a glorious number. And then once um, Adam fell, six becomes a cursed number. If you're looking for the Antichrist, look for 666. My Aunt Mary's Sears credit card, I told you last week. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did we, should we not pay the architect or is there more going on here? Well, of course, the sixth day is also the day that what? Jesus died on the cross, Good Friday. And in the first creation, God rested on the seventh day. And in the second creation, Holy Saturday, Jesus rested. And then you see, um, Jesus rose on the eighth day. And so tomorrow, if you look at the bursts, you will see that there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bursts going out. You need this, you need it because of this, it's given to you here, and your eighth day is your resurrection day. Jesus rose on the eighth day, you rise on the eighth day. And then, you can explain that to your relatives, maybe over pie with ice cream, and then uh, say, and that's the reason the Holy Supper goes on all the time, and you could, it wouldn't be great for you to, you know, confess your sins and come back. That'd be great, right? There's nothing we do here that doesn't mean something. Everything means something everywhere. Um, there's nothing that hasn't been thought through or doesn't have a reason. You might not believe the reason or like the reason or it might even be a bad reason, but there's nothing that's done that um, isn't, uh, yeah, isn't done. New Testament or early um, evidence for infant baptism. So you have a sheet on your thing with some early evidence, right? So let me give you a little bit of early evidence for uh, baptism. First, uh, to sort of say, hey, we need evidence, uh, would have struck people in the New Testament era kind of funny. Right? Evidence? Why do we need evidence? Jesus told us what to do and we do it. Uh, the question about being baptized as an adult um, seems foreign in the church in the New Testament church. They don't talk about it because nobody asked the question, in part. And in part, it was a patriarchal society. When dad decided um, things were gonna happen, things happened. It's a little, I have a friend once who said to me, uh, he had um, six kids and he said, the happiest day of my life was when I said, everybody get in the minivan and they all got in the minivan. <laughs> the ultimate example of patriarchal society. So uh, it was a little bit like that in, uh, in the early church, whatever um, the dad or the master or the owner or the emperor did, Constantine gets baptized, everybody gets baptized, right? So regularly, you get in the New Testament, you get a few hints of this where it says, he and all his household, which would have been not just his wife and kids, but his slaves and, you know, the newspaper boy and the milkman. They would have all got baptized because that's who we are. The modern analogy of this is Africa. Everybody's always astounded by the growth of the African church. The thing is, once the tribal leader says, I'm getting baptized, everybody gets baptized, right? It's like, that's, that's why the numbers go up so fast and so big, because, you know, he decides for a thousand people. Boom, right? Sir, 
Uh, so, you know. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. They're going to be okay. She's a very nice woman, by the way. So um, it's, uh, it's uh, in the early church then, when people began maybe to ask about it, or when they wrote down the history, you have um, a couple of pieces there. Hippolytus, uh, you can go see his church in Ravenna, uh, in Italy, it's a beautiful place. He's one of the, uh, he wrote uh, basically how to be a church, kind of a church manual. Um, so they were taken by the deacon into the water, infants for whom their parents spoke, just like we do at our place, and children first. That's the apostolic tradition. Apostolic tradition was like a handbook. This is how you should be in the church, or this is kind of how we've sorted it out. It's very early. Um, you know, people argue about the date, but certainly within, you know, certainly by 200 or so, but it could be as early. Sometimes people talk about as early as, as 80, or, or no, the Didache is 80, so within the first few hundred years of the church, because Hippolytus is, um, I'm trying to remember what year he was martyred, but in any case, uh, there's an early one. So that's in the 200s, then Origen. Um, the custom of infant baptism was taken to be of apostolic origin. So Origen, who's, uh, Origen's kind of a genius boy, spoke a lot of languages, uh, knew everybody and had read everything. Um, you know, for him, you know, he, 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 his custom was that um, he maintained that there was a tradition of the church from the apostles to administer baptism to infants, also to in infants, right? And then Cyprian too. It had apparently had been the custom from some parts of the church to baptize infants on the eighth day after their birth. There's your eight. But Cyprian insisted this was too long to wait. Third day, right? So do you have some evidence? You got all kinds of evidence. Um, is it enough evidence for people? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But if you work just from the text to start, which is, the first Lutheran dogmatics, Philip Melanchthon, dogmatics is like systematic theology. So, you know, systematic theology gets all your ducks in a line. There's a question, why do you baptize babies? The answer is because they die. That's a brutal answer. And also true. Why do you baptize babies? Because they die. Luther is Martin Luther because he was baptized on the feast day of St. Martin. It was a Thursday. And at his time, 50 or 60 or 70 percent of the babies died round about the time they were born. They would take the child to the church, baptize it same day if they could, and often gave it the, the name of the, of, the, of the feast of the day, Martin of Tours for, 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 for Martin Luther, right? So, um, you know, that you can either say, well, that's horribly superstitious, or you could say it's horribly loving. You know, everything can be said a law way and a gospel way, right? Everything can be put, we can be judgy about things, which is the way the law works. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. The law is fabulous. It's holy judgment. But it, there can also be a merciful way. Uh, good. You know what? There's always a danger that I just read these without pre-reading them. But, you know, I trust you. And if there's a swear word in here, I guarantee that it's on the card, okay? So... <laughs> Even though we're baptized and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we die, we still have to stand before the judge of seat of Christ and give an account of our time on earth. Are we still saved if we have unconfessed sins, wicked deeds? You know what my answer to this question is? Go to church, yeah, go to church right. <laughs> no. 
When I taught, I told you this last week, didn't I? When I was taught confirmation, I designated swearers. Hell, damn, damn, hell. So I would, whenever I needed, kids were perfect attention from the designated swearers. Where else could they say hell and damn and not get in trouble? <laughs> they don't let me teach confirmation anymore. <laughs> so this is a very sophisticated question. This is very, very nice, right? And this is a real question, which is, I got baptized, and then I don't act like it. Now, you heard that in the catechism, too. We daily sin much, and diseases are nothing but punishment. Or, when you wake up in the morning, make the sign of the cross and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and drown your old Adam. You know, this is a huge um, issue in the early church. Sometimes people, like Emperor Constantine, who flipped the script and made uh, the, you know, the empire, the Roman Empire Christian, in fact, waited until his deathbed to be baptized, because he wanted to make sure that he got all his sins taken care of. That's a very high gamble, right? You get hit by that Budweiser beer truck I talked about last week, yeah, that's not good. So, um, boy, there's so many things to say here. There's a very sophisticated question. It takes kind of a sophisticated answer. You're a sinner, and you have sins. Even if you confess all your sins and have them forgiven, you're still a sinner. So if you show up at heaven and say, um, I haven't done any sins, um, you know, then there's that shoot to the south, like in Candyland, right? <laughs> no, it's, here's the thing. We already learned how to do this. Don't talk about yourself. You're wobbly if we talk about you. If we say, I got a lot of sins, or I just, I just had, I mean, I just went to the Lord's Supper, I got forgiven, I already thought bad things about my husband or my aunt or those people coming for Thanksgiving, right? Um, look, if you look at your sins and start counting them up and start worrying about them, you're going to be miserable your whole life. Instead, if you could adjust your gaze toward Jesus, which is why that crucifix is front and center, look up, right? Talk about Jesus, which is Jesus loves me and forgives me and even forgives more sins than I've got. He even died for the ones I haven't done yet. Those sassy ones that'll come later today, right? So if you say, um, hey, it's all about my sins, then I say, hey, uh, that's not the way the gospel talks. Now, there's a second part, subtext to that question, which is very sophisticated, which is there is, in fact, in some sense, a purgation, a purgatory before you move into heaven. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 2 3, where it says, you know, all your work is going to be tested. You're going to be burned up like, it'll be burned like fire, refined like fire. Some of it will just disappear. So, you know, there's going to be some Christians walking around in church, buck naked in church, not in church, go to church. No, uh, uh, in heaven, buck naked, because none of their works, you know. But there'll be some people you, you won't even believe how radiant they will be. Whatever is sinful gets burned away in the time that you move from your death to heaven. How long does it take? What's the format? How does it work? That's above my pay grade. I su suspect... You saw the, the Catholic Church has some commercials on. Did you see this maybe a year or two ago? The, who's ever doing their publicity? It's, it's quite 
What's nice is the clarity of it, right? The, the current one is Jesus doesn't get us, or Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you, right? So those are very interesting. But previously, they had some about their comeback to church deal was people sitting and seeing like movies of their life go by. Do you remember this? There's men sort of weeping in a chair and sort of turning their heads away like, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some great sorrow at um, sins that are unconfessed or horrible things that I've done. I'm sure there'll be some pain in the way that it's painful to lose bad habits or bad memories or bad things that you've done. But um, how long that lasts, how it goes, things aren't specified. The answer is you'll be purged of everything evil before you go to a place that you pray about every day. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So bring me back up to heaven where things are holy so I can live with you. That's the end game. It happens because of what Jesus does. Think about that and don't think about yourself. Then you won't be left in doubt and everything's going to be okay. Oh, we got to go because I held you. Um, somebody has already thoughtfully asked about the schedule. We will not meet on the Saturday of Thanksgiving, of course. I'm going to try to press you into meeting on the 17th of December, which is the Saturday before Christmas Eve. If I ask you now, you'll all say, I'm in. However, I know that while the flesh is, while the spirit is willing, the flesh is sometimes indeed weak. So, um, but I want to try to do that. Then we'll have three or four weeks off for Christmas. We'll come back and then we'll aim at Ash Wednesday and kind of see how things are going. So we're going to go a little burst. You have a week off. We'll have a little burst. You have a few weeks off. We'll have a little burst and then we'll sort of take the lay of the land. Try to be braver. Uh, you can send me questions through the week. That's what I mean by that. You can send me questions. You can leave questions behind. I'll try to pay attention to them. We'll talk a little bit about um, baptism next week, maybe do some more exam questions, and then we sort of, I'm not sure yet, we'll maybe move into talking about holiness, or we may talk about absolution, or we may do both things, okay? But in any case, thank you very much. Um, you know what, you could, the vicar, he's a shy boy and nice, but I need a picture of you with your name so that I and all the other pastors can learn every name. If you're a member, forget I said anything. We've got your picture already. In fact, we got too many pictures of you. Doing things we wish you weren't doing. <laughs> However, if you're newer, if you'd let the very nice vicar take your picture, it's not gonna be published, it's not gonna go into a TikTok, it's all gonna be fine. It's just for the pastors because I have been sent to the hospital for a new member and ended up in the wrong room. And about 10 minutes in, I figure out that the woman, you know, belongs to the papacy and then she's disappointed and I you know I, it's just it's just a lot just let us know your name if you want us to care for you okay so all right let's pray Lord remember us in your kingdom teach us to pray our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all. It was very nice to see you. Thanks for making the time. See you soon.